Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at Pucks PPN, and at Popcorn PPN. Uh, on this past week's uh, show of uh, Popcorn and Potables, they discuss the It miniseries and the new remakes. This coming Tuesday, Power Ups and Potables is going to be putting out an event uh, basically covering the PlayStation 5 event that's going to be happening this week. Uh, and Process Potables and Pucks and Potables just dropped a crossover episode together talking about the inevitable restart of the NHL and the NBA. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Well, we had an interesting uh, sit-through of another pay-per-view here. We saw the quote-unquote greatest wrestling match ever. We saw another cinematic uh masterpiece or really bad i don't know what we just watched we're going to talk about it all on this special edition of power bombs and potables roll it And welcome to this week's uh, edition of Power Bombs and Potables here on the podcast Potables Network. Uh, my name is Corey Oates. I am your host, and we discuss the week that was in pro wrestling every single week. And tonight, I'm joined by the Pod Daddy himself to discuss uh, another WWE pay per view that is now in the books. Uh, Dan Morgan, Pod Daddy, welcome to Power Bombs and Potables. I hope that tonight's pay per view is ready to feel my backlash. That's a uh... Interesting words there. So uh, before we talk about the pay-per-view, we're just going to quick get into the week's uh, news. Uh, and that's going to be on this week's Quick Sips. All right. So for this week's Quick Sips, we're sitting here and we are drinking a collaborative beer between uh, Chimney Rustic Ales out of Hamilton, New Jersey, and our friends at Vinyl Brewing in Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, what, what do we got here? This is called Spilt Blood on the Footsteps of My Mind. It is just shy of 6% farmhouse ale between Chimney Rustic Ales and Vinyl Brewing. Both happen to be in Hamilton. Vinyl, which we know is a big wrestling, uh, you know, brew house as well. And Chimney, this is my first time trying them, probably yours as well. Uh, They offered me a little home delivery option on Friday, which is very nice, to the Gloucester County area. So made sure to check out their deals they hooked me up with a few uh a few crowlers and a six-pack so far everything i've had i enjoyed and we're about to dig into this it is a uh four grain with local fruitwood orchard wildflower honey so a swig of beer for the working man god damn right we work tonight Ooh, okay yeah you get the honey at the end mm-hmm. at first it's re- it's real nice it, it, it in like the best way, it's kind of like 
you know, like your coldest, most refreshing Miller High Life, Miller Light, like right. real kind of generic beer, and then a little bit of that honey kick at the end gives a nice little flavor. Yeah, it definitely brings I that like farm. It. it definitely brings that farmhouse flavor that that they said. But it's one of those beers that it needs to be cold. Oh, absolutely. I think the other thing too is that a lot of saisons and stuff like that are usually very light. They're also usually not that high in ABV, and you can you can taste that close to six percent in this. This one's got some balls to it, also. Yeah, I dig it. Glad that you know we decided to dig out the, the ball drinking beer at a ten fifteen. But this pay per view is the first one that they've had in a while that has gone past uh, like nine thirty. So we're going to first start talking about the news here. Uh, on Tuesday, New Japan announced that they're going to be resuming operations with multiple shows in the month of June, as well as running their first event with big fans uh, again in July. Uh, t- company chairman uh, announced through uh, New Japan that they have created guidelines for safety resuming events with the Japanese Sports Authority after the nationwide state of emergency was lifted. Uh, They said that the company has been conducting antibody testing last week on all talent, crew, trainers, and other live event staff to ensure the safety of everybody at the upcoming shows. After careful consideration and uh, vigilance, we have begun prepping venues for events. Uh, they said thank you for, their, for your patience, and throughout this process, we'd like to now announce our first show will be back. Will be on June the fifteenth. So, well, that is uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, the New Japan schedule on NGPW World will be as follows: June fifteenth through the seventeenth, together project special with matches revealed at the top of the show by the ring announcer. So you're going into this blind. Uh, June twenty second through the twenty fourth, and July first through the third will be the start of the New Japan New Japan Cup twenty twenty. There will be no live audiences at those events. The G, uh, July 11th New Japan Cup Finals at the Osaka Joe Hall. Uh, July 12th New Japan Cup winner will be getting a title opportunity at the Osaka Joe Hall for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Tag Team titles against Tensei Naito. Uh, these shows will, not, will host with a live audience, but a third of the normal capacity. Uh, they say that we will guarantee that uh, we will undertake all possible precautions in future shows with audience. The New Japan uh, guidelines also uh, about resuming operations will be available on the official New Japan Pro Wrestling website. Um, speaking of New Japan, according to a report from PW Insider, they held a secret taping in Los Angeles, California uh, yesterday on June the 13th. Uh, the event was titled Lions Break Collision. According to sources, nine to a ten matches were taped in front of a closed set. The company had social distancing protocols in place during the event. Uh, all of the talent who worked the event were said to have been American. Also, MLW superstar Tom Lawler made his debut on this. Of course, Jeff Cobb, TJP, Rocky Romero, uh, Clark Connors, Alex uh, Coughlin, Carl Fredericks, uh, Mysterioso, and all worked the taping. Uh, as of now, no word on when that footage is going to be out there. I just find this very interesting due to the fact that New Japan was the very first company when all this happened and WWE was continuing trucking on that said that they will hold out as long as possible because it wasn't important to them. The health was what was important. And here we are. Oh, we're jumping right back into it. So that's an interesting uh, take there. Uh, Danzen. Uh, which primarily focuses on boxing and Bellator MMA, will become home to MLW's future live shows and feature MLW in its regular weekly uh, schedule. Uh, Episodes of MLW Fusion and the Opera Cup event from December will be live on uh, Dazen this morning. MLW has been forced to postpone their schedule in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Their next show is slated to be a taping of MLW Fusion on October the 3rd outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, with Battle Riot scheduled for December 5th in Philadelphia at the 2300 Arena. 
Uh, Danzen is available for $19.99 a month and $99.99 a year. So uh, that's interesting. Those guys are signing all sorts of distribution deals uh, all over the country. Better that they got another distribution after the BN Sports uh, in America. Dustin Rhodes, and this is something that really kind of is close to me. Dustin Rhodes was briefly mentioned on Howard Stern this week uh, because in like 2002 when he had that gimmick where he had uh, the, what, what Tourette's, when he had Tourette's and he was just doing all that stuff, he appeared in character on Howard and they still play that clip like almost every day of him um, having the Tourette's on the show. And he basically says that Goldust is his favorite wrestler of all time. Goldust has invited Howard Stern to an AEW taping to see his favorite wrestler, but I'm sure that he's actually not going to go there. He's not even leaving his own house. Um, AEW star Chris Statlander confirmed that she suffered a torn ACL that requires surgery. Uh, the news of her knee injury was first reported by PW Insider. Statlander then took Twitter to give more details. Uh, she says, since the news is out, I told you I'd, I'd dive on Kip again, and damn it, I did. But in doing so, I ended up with a high-grade tear in my ACL. She wrote, yes, I need surgery, and yes, I'll be out of the ring for a little while. I'll do my best to still show up on your TVs as much as I can. This uh, injury happened during this week's edition of Dynamite. So, yeah, she was in a tag match with women and did a dive onto the male outside of the ring who had nothing to do with the match and injured herself. Just just gotta love it. Another dive. Dave Meltzer reported on the latest uh, edition of Wrestling Observer Newsletter that ROH is currently in the process of now also planning their return and doing TV shows uh, without fans. Per the report, the feeling is that they have to start planning weekly shows soon as they are going to be running out of one-hour profiles of members on the roster each week for television. Uh, the location of future TV tapings hasn't been decided at this time. A specific return date also has not been decided, as they are currently working on how to handle safety protocols and testing. And finally, fans have noticed that Alexa Bliss currently has her Twitter account set to private. Uh, only approved followers can see her tweets. Based on a recent tweet, she basically made the change due to harassment from others on the social media platform. Uh, she also mentioned that someone tried to get her password. Now, this I ended with this, especially knowing how much you are a fan of Twitter and use Twitter all the time, Dan. Yes. Um, you know, that... For as positive and useful as Twitter can be, it can be a huge area for, for negativity. And it's good that people are finally deciding that they need to shut it down a little bit. Well, yeah, all social media has has its pros and cons. And, and clearly cyberbullying and things along those lines, which I believe we've discussed on here before, mm -hmm. are, not, are not things that we condone and, and are very real, even, even to adults. It's something that is often spotlighted very much in schools and with you know the the younger generations of this country and rightfully so it's very difficult to grow up during these times i mean even us sitting here now you know in, in our early 30s know nothing of of what they go through now having the technology they do at such a young age we kind of came of age during that time and, and really got some i think some free passes on a lot of those things before they became as toxic as they are the only thing as far as the wwe superstar though it's like your account is it is not necessarily you know your own like it's, it's a character and i would think of anything like maybe you should just have two like you should have your private one for your life and you should have your character one and unfortunately like i you know i think it, it could very well be a disservice to you know new fans that you get that it becomes difficult to interact and everything with the responsibility to follow i mean imagine a, a, a kid that doesn't have a twitter account and would love to be 
you know, following Alexa Bliss and the positivity she brings through social media and is unable to because they can't see that content. So it, it's kind of stupid. And I guess, you know, to that point, necessarily, maybe those people shouldn't be on Twitter anyway because of the cons that we're discussing. But I, I just think, especially with wrestling, when these accounts are really based on, on their character for, for the most part, that it just might make a lot more sense instead of making your main profile private that you just you know don't really like engage in that one just use that to post positive stuff and let it go all around the internet and then if, if you're really that worried about people being hard on you and whatnot then you know maybe keep the things that, that people are judging you about to to your personal one if you're not comfortable with it or you know use it to to highlight the the um, harassment and, and injustice and whatnot and, and again use your voice as a platform just something that everybody's talking about right now something we are, are heavily hitting across this network as far as all everything that's going on right now with Black Lives Matter and and COVID-19 and, and even with things like cyberbullying and whatnot you know you use your platform that's the best thing you can do when you hide that behind a wall I don't necessarily think that you are now using your platform to the way that you know, people may hope that you do and they also have another, you know, cool feature on Twitter, along with the block button. There's also the mute feature, and there's also lists. So if you really, really want to block out a lot of stuff without having to go that deep into it, you have those options very readily available Yeah, to you, you can choose who can reply to stuff now. You can mute replies altogether. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of tools, and I don't know how many of those are all fully out. I know a lot of times they say those things are being, you know, integrated slowly, and only certain users get access to them. So I guess until... We know that all those kinds of tools are readily available to every single account, and that's not necessarily a fair thing to expect. But uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just have a real issue with you know not using your voice more as I trying to kind of you know, cover yourself up and hide something. I don't think that that's the answer. I, I, I agree, uh, but you know, in, in the wake of you know, other people using having issues with cyberbullying and leading to deeper things you know if this is what she feels she has to do for a little bit you know so be it yeah self-care is encouraged that, right. that's definitely not I don't want to misconstrue my point to think that she shouldn't be looking out for herself absolutely but I agree alright that was it for uh, this week's quick sips and uh, it is time for us to, to dive into tonight it was the WWE's backlash pay-per-view we start off with the pre-show which for some reason, I felt that was only a half hour. I'm used to them being an hour when they have a live audience. I kind of felt like they toned them back, just like they toned down the length of these shows. But I was wrong. This was an hour-long pre-show, but there was only one match, so I didn't miss anything uh, because I turned in right when this match started. It was for the United States title, which I didn't think was even going to be on the pre-show. I would assume this would have been a main thing. This has been a, a, a some nights the main event of Monday Night Raw. It is Andrade, the former champion, challenging Apollo Crews. Kevin Owens is out here on commentary. came out wearing a tie over top of his T-shirt, very Stone Cold-esque. Uh, these two brought out to the floor to start the match, which led to Crews hitting a backdrop on the ramp. Uh, Cruz has a moonsault off the apron. Uh, the two were back in the ring. Cruz hit a suplex for two. Andrade sent him into the turnbuckle, which uh, turned the tide of this match. They brawled to the top rope or until Andrade, uh, Andrade missed that horrible double foot stomp. I couldn't have been more happy to see that that actually happened because it's so fucking nonsensical. Uh, Cruz hit a belly-to-belly -belly suplex that sent Andrade into the buckles. Cruz hit a splash in the corner before landing a spine buster for a near fall. Andrade and the him traded chops back and forth. Uh, after he hit a springboard t DDT for a two count. Uh, Andrade went to the top rope, uh, but Cruz caught him with a kick and a standing moonsault twice. 
Angel Garza jumps up on the ring, and then Kevin Owens takes him down, hit him in a stutter in front of the announce desk, which gave Cruz the chance to hit the powerbomb, sit-out powerbomb, for the finish. I thought this was a great match. I don't see why it wasn't on the pay-per-view. I felt like it was kind of a letdown to be on the pay-per-view. I'm used to, like, five-minute Cesaro matches being on a pay-per-view. Yeah, very good match. Definitely should have been on the card. I agree with all of that. I, I too, turned in... Uh, tuned in right as this match came on. So I, I was happy that I caught it because I thought they did a great job. The weird thing to me in this was, you know, they're, they're telling a good story. They're having a good back and forth. I understand that Owens is at ringside, and, and I know that's going to come into play at some point, obviously, as well as with Zelina and with, uh, with Garza. The thing that's weird is Apollo has all the momentum and then you have the interference, and Owens obviously then gives Garza the stunner. But at that point, like that all, when you do those kinds of things, it sets me up to believe, okay, here comes the turn now, because now Owens just got Garza, and, right. and Cruz is the one watching, and all of a sudden, it just none of it matters, and it just turns into Apollo Cruz still having the momentum, hitting another move and beating him. So what's the point? It, it doesn't do anything for me, because he was already in the position of having the advantage, and none of this changed any of that. Like, either he needed to not be, and this needed to swing it in his way, or this needs to give Andrade the edge. It, it, just, it just it doesn't matter. None of this mattered to me, and it just made the ending of what was otherwise a pretty good match very clunky. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and, and I've been saying uh, for the last couple of weeks, ever since they took the belt off of Andrade, that I guess that they're priming him for Drew, despite the fact that Drew beat him on Raw, like, I feel like twice in the last two months, but I feel like that's the next thing. They've been building up more of Zelina Vega's stable to be a main force to be reckoned with on these shows, and now that you got that belt off of him, you can now focus on continuing to try and build Apollo Cruz and then put Andrade in there with Drew McIntyre, who we know these two can have good matches. They've done it in the past, but they just need to be able to actually have matches that aren't five minutes long with interference and all the other shit that they keep doing every single week on TV. I don't see a lot of Andrade. I mean, you know, I, I watch most weeks. I didn't watch this week. But how has he just started doing that DDT? Because that was really impressive. That was like the highlight of the match to me. And I don't feel like I've seen him do that before. Is that new? No, 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 no. He's been that. that that's been a staple of 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 his. Okay. Arsenal. I don't feel like I've seen that. He definitely doesn't do it all the time. Which, I mean, I appreciate him, you know, using it in select spots, but that move was really impressive to me. If he, you know, stopped doing that double stomp and started doing that more. Double stomp's horrible. It, it would be great, but that that really impressed me from him, and I already was a fan of his, but that DDT was awesome. I agree, yeah. So I think that'll be the direction for that, and clearly they're still working on Kevin Owens and Angel Garza. There's still more meat on the bones there. So the show opens up with the... WWE Women's Tag Team Title Match. The champs, Bailey and Sasha, defending against the Iconics, Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, versus the former champions, uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Before the match starts, Michael Cole announces that the winner of this match will be defending the titles this Wednesday night on NXT versus Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox, which, as someone who watches NXT every week, makes absolutely zero fucking sense, except for they're just trying to once in a while integrate the women's tag matches on there. For what it's worth, Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox have had like maybe two tag matches together, and it's not against anybody else. It's always against Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. So it's not like they've been a tag team. They've been just two people put together because they together have single issues with the other two people. So this is going to be a match for the sake of a match. Uh, this coming week, 
they uh through the also in the entrances here again they try and basically show that there is possible dissension or or stir it up between Bailey and Sasha uh they i believe it was Mackenzie Mitchell tonight doing the uh stuff back there and she said you know hey if if you guys lose the tag title tonight, will will you blame Sasha or will Sasha blame Bailey? One of the two, and it was, basically said their friendship depended on having the belts, right? Which makes no fucking sense here. I mean, in the end of this, the end of this, when they lose the belts, that will be the turning point and what they do to break them up to then have this finally end all uh, end with this being over the SmackDown Women's title. But we still have a couple of weeks to get there. I'm assuming that they'll probably drop them on. Uh, the next show, Extreme Rules, uh, and then build to SummerSlam before you, you finally get the payoff with with Sasha and Bailey. So finally, to this match, uh, they worked this where one member of each team was in the ring at the same time. I loved it. I liked the idea of this concept of a triple threat match, which I mean usually is, but with tag teams, it's it's kind of funky. Uh, even when you do fatal four ways, it's only usually two. Yeah, and I hate that. Right. When they have to tag in another team, it doesn't ever make sense. Right. Still, the, the the greatest finish for that of all time was when the New Age Outlaws just pinned each other to keep their belts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a series of quick tags early in this match. Bailey took advantage and beat down Nikki Cross into the corner. Uh, Billy Kay took out uh, Cross with a big boot for two count. Uh, Banks hit a knee strike to the face of Billy Kay until Nikki Cross uh, broke that up. Uh, Nikki Cross then hit a spear and a bulldog onto Bailey and Cross. Peyton Royce did a crossbody onto two of the girls. I don't even remember who it was. Uh, they were standing on the apron, so she dives through the ropes and basically takes them out, and then all three of them together fall onto the other three girls on the ground. It just looked really sloppy and looked horrible. I don't know why they thought that it was a good idea, but it did it. Uh, don't ask me I didn't book it <sighs> who booked this shit uh, there was there was a double team move uh, by Billy uh, Peyton and Billy K to Sasha Cross and Bliss hit the double team face buster uh, Bliss then went to the top rope and hit Twisted Bliss at this point Sasha rolled up Alexa but she like locked her arms kind of sat down on him and wrapped her arms around her legs for the win so this roll up was great I'm not complaining about this one this wasn't a small package so it looked real no complaints for me great opener to this show yeah, the one thing, I'm really over Alexa and Nikki Cross at this point. I kind of thought that once they weren't tag champs, that that mm-hmm. was going to kind of be the end. I mean, Alexa's a, a multiple-time women's champion, mm-hmm. and this just isn't doing it for me anymore. I, the Iconics, at this point, I mean, I think that they're the best thing women's tag team wrestling has on the main roster. Like, I don't think it's really that close. And you're wasting so many people's time by having Bailey and Sasha have this, as well as Bailey being a women's champion, and both these teams are being done a disservice by this. None of this has anything to do with the match. The match was fine, but like I'm just not interested at this point. Not only do I know that the Bailey and Sasha thing is all setting its own thing up, right. it has nothing to do with either of these other teams. But I'm I'm just not really invested in any of them. The only one that's really a team to me at this point is the Iconics, and the problem is they like since they came back, they've been looking dominant. And then they 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 lose this one, and I just think it kills all their momentum. Right. Well, I mean, what killed their momentum was losing their title shot the second week they were back after being gone for months. But um, the Sasha Bailey thing, I look back at this, and when they first won the, the women's tag titles at Elimination Chamber, 
last year, 2019, the whole talk was, oh, they're going to have a long run. And then you kind of figured that they would, that would have finally been their split because at this point they had already been teasing a split since the summer of 2018. So that, yeah. So then you get the tag titles on them. It kind of rejuvenated them. And then you're just like, okay, they'll eventually get to the split. Well, they lose the belts and Sasha goes away for months. They put the belt on Bailey, then they bring Sasha back, turn Sasha heel, they turn Bailey heel, and then you've had this run where there's just been this weird situation where Sasha barely speaks, she barely gets in the ring, and then now here we are. We're going full throttle, we put the belts on them again, and it's like almost as if, was this the plan that should have happened last summer, but because of other things that ha- excuse me, that happened, we get here? Like Maybe. It just it doesn't make sense to me uh, that that's uh, you know the the direction that that they're taking this, but in the end they're using the belts as a reason to have put another belt on there, which is it's kind of it's dumb because of the fact that it, you know it already existed, right? And and the other thing is, I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me is because of this is this is the only belt really they focus on several different shows, or that's the pl- the idea of it. They want to rotate people. And, and that's why they put it on them. But to the other point that you brought up, the whole Alexa and Nikki thing. Um, Alexa is a great heel, and we know that. And I feel that they turned her because there was, like, nothing really left to do with her as a heel. So they turned her baby face, and they put her with Nikki. But it didn't even seem like that was originally the plan. It originally seemed like she was using Nikki, and then eventually she was going to yeah. turn on her. And then it just organically turned them both t- uh, together. I think it's too soon to turn her heel, but you need to break them up. And the only way there's only two ways you can go about breaking them up. It's one, you have somebody turn on the other, which has been done to death, or you do the classic. Someone gets traded to another show and that's how you break them up and everybody stays the same way. And then you can just take them separate ways. Yeah. Um, WWE announces that on July 19th, they will be returning to pay-per-view for extreme rules. TNA Slammiversary is the night before this, Saturday, July the 18th. So we're going to have a lot of shows to recap that weekend. Uh, it should also be noted that July 18th, the night of the, the day of Slammiversary, is the day that everybody with no date, with 90 day no compete clauses are up. Oh boy. So, um, I'll go up for Saturday night. And, and TNA, I mean, TNA, I'm, I'm horrible with this, but Impact Wrestling has been promoting for the last two weeks. What's the same fucking thing? They've been promoting for two weeks that the, um, you know, all these people that have been released could be coming back in and they're teasing, you know, that it could be a plethora of people. I think it'll be, it would be great for Eric Young, for EC3 to come back in there. Uh, and it could even be a quick stop for Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows before they go back to New Japan. So uh, we'll see that. Okay. Got my interest. Yeah. Up next, Sheamus versus Jeff Hardy. I've been over this storyline since it started. Yep. These two brawled right out of the gate. Hardy hit an outside dive off of the steel steps. Sheamus uh, went to set Hardy on the top rope, and Jeff's knee hit the post for a real loud thud, which they continued to play a role uh, in the story for the rest of this match. Eventually, Jeff fought back with a back suplex. Uh, Hardy landed a series of strikes uh, and signature moves. Uh, Sheamus reversed a twist of fate with a roll-up. Jeff then hit a spinning kick followed by a sling blade. 
Uh, Jeff Hardy went to uh, for a dive. Sheamus uh, knocked him down and hit white noise for only a two count. Sheamus missed a spear and Hardy hit the twist of fate, followed by the Swanton Bomb for another near, near fall. Like this show was what everybody complains about indie shows being. Uh, Jeff Hardy went for an outside dive, uh, but Sheamus caught him with a big boot, rolled him back in the ring, hit another big boot for the win. It's called the brogue kick, buddy. Put some respect on it. This match was bad, but Sheamus winning tells me that this is going to continue, unfortunately. That is the note that I had. My only note is that this entire storyline just kind of feels like somebody threw piss on my face. Yeah. That's all yeah. I got. Better to be pissed off than pissed on is what they say. Sure. Yeah. Add it to the list of things Jeff Hardy must be addicted to. Yeah. So next thing we're going to talk about is the... Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's what this kind of was. Raw women's title match. Asuka defending against Nia Jax. Asuka uh, went for an arm submission right out of the gate here, but Jax powered out and hit a clothesline. Jax tossed her around and locked in a bear hug before Asuka caught her with a guillotine choke. Uh, Jax hit a suplex for a two count. At this point, these two were in the middle of the ring discussing the next spot, which you could hear from a mile away because Nia was so fucking loud for about 15 seconds of them discussing a spot. As they come up, Asuka fired back with a, a running knee strike and then head kicks. After about three, Asuka kept her leg on the shoulder of Nia Jax so she could grab it. And when she doesn't, she pulled out and then went for another uh, kick, which is when Jax cut her off and hit a powerbomb for two. Jax missed a spear, ate the turnbuckle. Asuka then locked in an armbar out on the floor, but Jax broke it up by tapping her ever so gently into the barricade. Uh, and then Asuka kicked her in the head, but failed to get back in the ring before the count of 10. Easy to say this match was not good, and Nia Jax continues to be horrible in the ring. Yeah, I had to rewind and point out three different missed things from Nia Jax there. I mean, to try and be completely fair, the kick thing... It was a headbutt, too. I don't know if it, who, who that's on. It, you know, who, who's off either way. So, let's call that one a wash. Asuka's up on the turnbuckle. Nia looks like she's going to throw a right hand, then pulls her punch, because I think she's like, oh, no, yeah. that's not it. I'm supposed to headbutt her. Then doesn't even headbutt her, and Asuka's got to sell air. Her forehead kissed Asuka's. Yeah, and then, and then again, that... that <laughs> She, it looked like she was trying to do the, the Roman Reigns thing when you're in an arm bar and you try to pull him up with one arm yeah. and powerbomb him. And I get it. You're Samoan. You want to do all these things to make everybody remember because apparently everybody who's Samoan ever is wrestling royalty. Well, bitch, you're not. You're bad, and you can't do it. And all you did was, like, give her a little pillow hit. And, again, like, these are all these times that you fuck up. Why are you here? <laughs> so, here, like, all that aside... So much credit to Asuka, who I've always been a big fan of, for really like making this thing work to the point that it did. Because it's very impressive when you're that good and technical and you're with somebody that isn't, that you can still adapt and make a match work. And she did that. But here's what I want to say, Corey. Here, here's where I need to get your, your insight. Okay. Watching Monday Night Raw very, very you know sporadically and, and only seeing bits and pieces. I couldn't help but notice in, in the go-home show for Monday Night Raw to this pay-per-view, who did I see for pretty much half the show in the ring together but Asuka and Charlotte? Yes, I actually had that as a note that I kind of forgot to plop in there. There's So why do I give a shit about Nia Jax? Because they use, they use and, and I have my exact note here, is they used, they used this match 
I, I, my note here. They had a great match, Charlotte and Asuka, which Charlotte got the win due to Nia Jax interference, which was literally just to build to this match on Sunday. Doesn't Fuck work it, for me. It really doesn't. That That is a, a, a great point that, you know, you not even knowing my notes saved my notes that I had there. It, it, Charlotte is, is still, in my opinion, the MVP. She is the... The best women's wrestler they have there. Nobody else is. I'd be the best wrestler. Right. Yeah. Even better than take, some of the guys. Take, take the, the female step out of it. Right. And it's uh, not Nia Jax, as we've discussed. She has two modes. Really unsafe or really, really just fake and bad. It's like she, she has not found that perfect. Like a lot of Samoans are known for being quote unquote snug. But the difference of snug and unsafe are two completely different things. If you catch somebody with a with a fist to the face like she did with Becky, okay, it happens. When you throw somebody that's telling you they're not set into a fucking bottom turnbuckle, that's you being unsafe. Yeah. You, so, you know, you, you give a receipt, you get a receipt. That, that's all well and good. Yeah, you know, the only problem is is she just, you know, hands out all the receipts, but she doesn't get any in return. So oh, yeah. it's kind of one-sided there. Well, the internet gives them to her via, you know, telling her that she's dog shit at wrestling, which is fair. Yeah. Well. <sighs> Up next, universal title match in a handicap match. Braun Strowman defending a uh, uh, Strowman, sorry, defending against the Miz and John Morrison. Now, during the pre-show, they announced that if Miz or Morrison pin Strowman, they will be the sole WWE champion and not the co-champion, which they have been saying the entire time they would be, which basically. You know, shows that there's going to be some form of dissension between Miz and Morrison at some point during this match. Which, before we even talk about the match, can I just say, why? Again, why? This is already something that no one's going to buy into. You know that you're right. just throwing meat to Braun Strowman. Right. Why do you have to put the dissension angle in there? Right, because because before, before if there was a chance where I could be like, well, these two could really work together mm-hmm. to take him out. You've now completely eliminated that because now there's clearly going to be a jealousy factor. Like, only somebody who's never watched wrestling for the first time might not think that that would be the case. I don't. Get, I just don't get it. it. It doesn't seem that, like, do less. Less is always a- more. We're not asking for, for these matches to be more complicated here. Our general theme so far is do less. And it's like, I, I think anybody's going to sit there and be like, oh, well, this has to be Bruce Pritchard's fault. At the end of the day, everything comes down to Vince. So, you know, I blame everything on Vince. Same. <sighs> Prior to the match, Miz and Morrison debuted their new music video. And this was really fucking entertaining. I, I mean, loved it. It was stepbrothers. So much stepbrothers energy. Boats and O's. Yeah. It, it, was, it was like cheesy, but they plays it they play it so seriously it was shot in like full screen mm-hmm. and it was just tremendous they've got all the the passionate clenched fists and they're they're all buddy buddy and Morrison's playing the piano and he just rips his shirt off at some point for no fucking reason it's probably to show off his abs oh well, yeah i mean i would too i lo- i loved mtv every, selling I in loved the 80s every single minute of this until it gets interrupted by the stroman express yes choo choo he's a big old choo choo train now you sound like a big old choo choo twain they have freaking like train uh, whistles going off and smokestacks coming out of the place. And I didn't want to say this to you on there. I don't know if you saw it, but on each opposite side, it says 
Clear the tracks. I did not see that. Clear the tracks because here comes the train. Because I heard, I'm watching it and I see what I did see was straight in the middle of the main screen was smoke going up straight. And then I could see off to the sides because with the plexiglass being straight down and the, the, the main screen coming down, it really kind of keeps you from being able to see the sides when yeah. they're having that straight on the ramp look. Um, and But I could see the, the steam, smoke, whatever, coming on the sides as well. So I'm like, eh, whatever the fuck. I did not see yeah, that. I, <laughs> but my God, that's just... Clear the tracks. That's just fucking horrible. Um, Strowman tossed around Morrison uh, early uh, before Morrison got attacked to Miz. Uh, and then he was attacked by Braun. Finally, once they were outside of the ring, uh, Miz and Morrison were, you know, getting the numbers game to Braun. Morrison hit an outside dive. Once they get back into the ring, Miz and Morrison continue to beat down Strowman. Uh, Braun eventually misses a spear and ate the post, which allowed Morrison to hit a series of springboard kicks. Braun fired up and hit a choke slam to Miz, then a big right hand to Morrison before hitting uh, and dropping Morrison with a power slam for the win. Great start to this match. Shit finish. Yeah, they were really playing this up well. I was impressed. If prior to the ending of this match, I would say this was the match that like I had the lowest expectations for that definitely surpassed them. If we, if we exclude the finish, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. Like every other match I kind of knew what I was getting and pretty much was what I thought it was. Whether I thought it was bad or thought it was good, it was what it was. This was the one that I, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, I'm kind of looking at like like what the hell you're just throwing him more meat, but they they really made it work. They're going back and forth with the quick tags. They're making him work in different directions. You know, every time he's facing the Miz, Morrison's coming from behind and getting a hit in. Like they they really you know the first half of this match booked really well, and you're like, okay, like if they just keep kind of nickel and diming him here, they'll get there. Braun still looks strong because he doesn't go down to the ground. You know, till like probably seven or eight minutes into the match, so you keep him looking strong, but they eventually do wear him down. Again, this comes back to the dissension part, but, you know, you have Miz pull more, like Morrison had the pin on him, and by all accounts, you're led to believe he wasn't kicking out, and Miz pulls Morrison off, and that's what basically gives Strowman the opportunity to win this, and my issue here is you didn't need the dissension anyway, because you're not going to break them up, so it's not like that's going anywhere, I, I don't imagine it is at least, and now you've made Braun look bad because by all accounts, you're telling me that he was going to lose if the Miz doesn't save him. So now we're talking about Braun supposed to be this big dominant monster champion. He already defeated Bray Wyatt, who like we all you know thought was supposed to look strong and everything. And he, and he loses to Braun. And so fine, you know, you're making him the strong champion. And now I'm supposed to, now I'm, I'm led to believe that he could have lost the belt to, to John Morrison last night none of these things there are no checks and balances to these things it doesn't make any sense and you didn't need it because i would have been fine if he squashed them i would have been totally fine if he just squashed them right and and like i said you assumed that going into this match this would have been a squash but then it kind of started to make you think okay well if these two team up sure two on one they might actually be able to to beat them and then once they added that stipulation in earlier, like we talked about, then you knew that this was going to end up being the way it was. They worked the match the way that they could have if it was going to end with a two-on-one and they could have been co-champion. But then once you you know you knew it had to eventually be them turning on each other, it really almost made it a triple threat, which all you need to do was isolate one and then 
beat the other really quick. And even when you go back to that music video, like, again, nobody went into this match with any expectation that Strowman wasn't winning. But if you don't have the tease that only one of them would be champion, couldn't you just kind of imagine a very short run of them actually being the champion together and you having to face them both and them doing all these 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 shticks and videos and gimmicks and just having some fun with it for a real short while before somebody else comes and stomps them out, whether it's Braun. I thought it would, that would be that would have like, been great. Like there's an there, like it's it's somewhat believable. There is an actual path to that making sense, and that's all you have to do in wrestling is give me some way to suspend my disbelief and when you don't do that and also make the 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 strong guy look weak you're you're failing in every category and it's so frustrating yep and what i'm assuming the inevitable follow-up to this is we get the return of bray wyatt as the fiend and then the next thing we're going to get is braun Strowman and the fiend for the title at this point i don't care i i I didn't care before either well you know, like this could have made me care, but I'm so disinterested now. And and all the stuff with his car, too. Stop. Please stop. Oh, well. You're in luck if you really care about Braun Strowman's car. Uh, by the way, by the way, he pulled up to the arena tonight and the windshield was already fixed. So I'm sure he had a, a house call from Safe Light. Good for him. Safe Light Repair, Safe Light Replace. Hey, they are not a sponsor on this podcast. Not yet. Hit us up, bro. Uh, WWE title match is up next. Drew McIntyre defending against Bobby Lashley uh, with MVP uh, outside of the corner. Earlier in the night, MVP tells Lana backstage that MVP wasn't the one that's been keeping her from being ringside. It's been Lashley's call for all this. So, once again, another them it's hitting you in the face. You know Lana's going to be out here at some point during this match. As soon as Drew hits the ring, Lashley locked in the full Nelson and took him down. Like, literally, he got him down on the mat, and it looked like Drew was out. They had to bring out the refs from the backstage to break this up so they could even start the match. Interesting take for starting the match. As soon as the match started, Lashley tossed uh, Drew out to the floor, hit a slam that was botched really bad uh, before sending him into the ring post. Lashley went for a spear, but McIntyre countered and sent him into the barricade. Back in the ring, these two went. They traded strikes. McIntyre went to the top rope and hit a clothesline. Uh, Drew then hit a spine buster for a two count. Lashley went back to the full Nelson, uh, but couldn't actually cinch it in this time. McIntyre uh, hit a face plant for a two count. Uh, Drew then went for a dive off the top rope, but Lashley caught him and locked in a crossface. McIntyre powered out, but Lashley reversed, locked in an ankle lock, but McIntyre got out of that. Lashley went for a spear, and then Drew caught him with the Kimura lock, which is kind of interesting, being that that's always been like the Brock Lesnar hold, so I'm wondering if that's kind of teasing the return of Brock Lesnar coming up soon, now that, you know, something we have to discuss later. Uh, And Lashley uh, then hit a spear for a near fall. At this point, Lana comes out to the ring, gets right onto the apron, which led to her being knocked off, which gave Drew the chance to hit a Claymore for the win. I was digging this match until the finish. For what it's worth, Lashley and MVP leave and don't help Lana up. If it takes this match to end the Lana storyline, then I guess I'm okay with it because I agree as well. Really enjoying this match up to it. I think I said it on one of the episodes I was on before, but like Lashley, I guess maybe... A little bit before Mania, or maybe just since Mania, like he has been very impressive. And when he first came back to WWE, like I wasn't really that impressed. I didn't know what they were doing with him. I thought, like, you know, the best chance they had to really make him hot would have been right out the gate, and he never really got the shot. 
So I don't know if they were just working with him on stuff or not, but like lately he's looked on fire. And this match was crazy because you don't expect guys this size to have this like submission match. And it was it was pretty good. I, I was buying it. I, I'd forgotten about the botch on the outside, so you reminded me. So that was pretty scary. But, you know, I don't necessarily, th- you know, that just happens sometimes. It's not something I think we've seen from a guy like Lashley enough for me to, to be worried about it. And Drew's a big motherfucker, but still scary, still definitely scary. Though the one thing I noticed at the beginning of this that was weird, uh, like I brought up to you, was that, you know, Drew gets choked out in the beginning or put in the full Nelson, whatever. And one, I actually don't think it would have been that that frustrating if they actually don't have the match. Like I thought that would have been an interesting angle that right. Lashley just kind of puts him out and you don't get it, but you know, it's left like, oh God, Lashley mm-hmm. got to him. Like every right. told him, what happens if you put that lock on? And now we see it. And then you almost build it even more. Like that would have been a great spot for a raw. Like tease that you're gonna get a title match on Raw. Right. And then that happens on Raw, and then it's like, oh shit. You know, like he took him out here. Sure. You actually then get to a title match on a pay-per-view. Yeah, totally. So like you're not gonna do that here, so I get it. So fine, he's gonna go through with the match. Drew wants to be tough. I get it. I pointed this out to you though. Usually, you know, say a guy comes and catches him money in the bank. They don't let him cash it in until the guy gets to their feet. Drew's Except not, for that one time. Drew's not even, yeah, there's no consistency <laughs> here. Drew's not even all the way up. And this ref is, is in such a rush to start this match. Why? And especially for the champion who should have the advantage and just got his ass whooped. Like, let him get to his corner. So I don't get it. I understand, like, I guess this is a way to even the playing field. But also, when it's a guy like Bobby Lashley, do you do you need to have that? I mean, he is as big and strong and fast as Drew McIntyre. They are they are seemingly even guys. If Lashley would have walked in here tonight and beat Drew McIntyre, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have questioned it whatsoever. I don't need you to to bring Drew down out of the gate to make me believe that he can be defeated by a guy like Lashley. I buy it. I'm in, especially with MVP. I'm absolutely buying it. I love the combination. And again, until the end, you knew it was coming. So it's unfortunate. But, you know, till then they put on a great match. If maybe, you know, MVP works his magic and gets him another one, that would be the play. MVP is supposed to be this guy that has mm-hmm. his connections and stuff. You know, play that card up more. Have Lana out of the picture because now, you know, that's that thing that lets you suspend the disbelief. You can easily say, Yes, okay, Drew beat him, but Drew beat him because Lana came out. Now I know Lana's gone. You know, to, to, by all accounts, Lashley had it in the bag until that. So do it again and leave me to believe that, you know, that'll be the case. Right. And um, at this point, you know, I, I was saying earlier, I do think that you're going to get Andrade maybe as the next opponent for Drew. I mean, they could always try and continue this Lashley thing. Who knows? But... I look at at, at Drew as uh, a six seven six eight babyface champion. Now, if this was nineteen ninety, you know where most guys are in that, you know six six to six ten range. You know everybody's jacked to the gills and three hundred pounds. You know at that point McIntyre wouldn't be as impressive, and you could literally throw a lot of people into the situation with him. You're at a, you're you're in a roster where it's very limited people that you could have believable feuds of someone who's going to try and maybe you know uh, convincingly take him on we ran into that same issue with earlier with Morrison Miz and and Strowman but the Seth Rollins thing has been just done to death I don't want to see it again and 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 Andrade the only reason why I say Andrade makes sense is because these two literally had the feud 
in NXT over the title where uh, Drew was the champion as the babyface, Andrade went in as the heel with Zelina, and they had a really good match. Unfortunately, that was the night where Drew got injured and was out for about a year, but we know that these two can have a good match, and that's why I think that that's the direction they should go. I'm assuming that Brock's coming back for SummerSlam, but... The only place for Brock, as much as people hate it, the only place for Brock is in the main event. What, are you going to have him feud with Austin Theory? There's there's nobody really in any of these rosters that are, are believable enough to take on Lesnar, except for Bobby Lashley. I mean, you can, two pay-per-views tops, you can go before he main events. You know, he has a comeback, squashes a guy, he has the next one that sets him up to be the point. to be the contender. Like, I like that, that. That's it. Two max. That that's that's all you get before he has to be implemented in it if he comes back. And granted, he doesn't have to be on everyone either because we know that's not how he works. So you know you can space that out over you know three months or so if you if you want to. I don't I don't think they should. You know he comes back. He he basically should have the spot. It's his spot, and he's owned it for a long time now. And he's a draw whether you like it or not. But. I don't think he has to immediately come back and main event and win a bell. I think you can space it out a little, but clearly not much. So it's all going to be about the timing of when it happens and how they set it up, which, you know, I have no faith in them doing right. But yeah, and more to talk about that later in this program. Uh, so up next, what was supposed to be up next, at least, was the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders for the Raw Tag Team titles. But instead, we got another cinematic match, which starts with both the teams outside of the performance center. And they put each other through the windshield of Braun Strowman's car. At which point, they realize that it's Braun Strowman's car, and then they all four run into the building together. Let's just say, and I'm going to summarize this, let's just say this cinematic match had everything from shields, golf clubs, turkey legs, ninjas, magical powers more tractor-trailer spots, and an alligator in this. The match never happens. Thank God. Why wasn't this on Raw? Like, this this was better than anything they've done the last seven weeks with the decathlons, the golf, the bowling, the basketball, the archery or axe throwing, whatever the fuck it was that they did. This should have been that. There are people like Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, who were not on this card, but this was. Seriously, like, the, the WWE's problem is once they do something and it goes over great, i.e. the graveyard match, they go back to the well too often and they ruin a good thing. We have had cinematic matches on every single pay-per-view since WrestleMania. And it's just for the sake of them doing it because it worked one time. Two times. Oh, um, yeah. Well, the, 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 the Bray Wyatt match with Cena, I, I'll, I'm okay with that too. Uh, what was that? The, 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 uh, the, the Firefly the, Funhouse. Firefly Funhouse. Can't remember what the hell the damn thing was called because. Never forget. Yeah, never forget. Too sweet. <sighs> too sweet, me hoot. Live too sweeting on the air here. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of the placement here. The match never took place. <sighs> In the main event, we get Edge versus Randy Orton, which the WWE might say is the greatest wrestling match of all time. (laughs) 
before the match starts, Michael Cole has gone to tell us that it wasn't Michael Cole. I apologize. Tom Phillips has let us know that they have put in special camera angles, extra lighting, and some kind of sound effects, which was really just them crowd noise. sweetening a crowd noise of 10,000 when there was maybe 30 in the room. Get ready, live sports. Jesus, fuck me, Christ. The coolest thing of this match was once both guys got out to the ring, they dimmed the lights, they lowered the classic MSG microphone setup for the Fink, and they pipe in entrances from the Fink. They were probably voiceovers from one of the old uh, WWE games, but, you know, they had the stuff. You know, Edge is still from Toronto. Randy Orton is still from St. Louis, Missouri as he said on this pay-per-view. Um, and it was just cool to hear the thing's voice one last time. Charles Robinson, Little Nature's out here wearing the classic baby blue, full button-up uh, with the bow tie, very mid-'90s WCW referee look, but it was also the classic WWF and just wrestling overall look from yesteryear. They really tried to give this, a, I guess you could say, an old-school feel. So about five minutes in, Orton does a nice little blade job. Nothing says a... Classic wrestling match, but a you know a blade job. Unfortunately, <laughs> Orton's body's great because he clotted that up very yep. quickly. Incredible. <laughs> Never seen anything like it. I don't even have notes on this match because what this match really was was 30 minutes of two guys going out there and doing everything under the sun. They hit all of their moves that they normally hit. And then everything from we saw three amigos, cross faces, rock bottoms, uh, but, uh Dan suggested they should do the finger poke of doom. What a marked. We didn't see a flying elbow. We didn't see a big boot. But, I mean, they, these guys literally did everything under the sun. I put on our Twitter that, it, to me, it seemed like your favorite like backyard wrestling match from like 2005 where there's no psychology. It's just all the moves that you see on TV. Well, you know, you talked about it being the Fink's voice from wrestling games. This was like a creative wrestler. You get to pick all the favorite point. finishers you guys have. You know, you can make fi finishes your signature move and all your normal moves. So it's basically what they did. Like, also, you know, before, right before this show started, they announced that at some point this match, mind you, was taped a week ago. Uh, Edge tore his tricep. Nobody knows the severity of that. So he might be out for a little bit, which, you know, kind of unfortunate being that, you know, he's just getting back into the game. But I digress into this match. Edge hit everything from education, from Spears. Orton kicked out of it all. Unprettier. Un an unprettier. Orton hit two different RKOs that Edge kicked out of. And he eventually wins this match with the punt. The classic punt that is another move that they've banned. Well, they banned the stomp. They brought the stomp back. But they have they have not put that punt on TV in years. And the thing that I kind of like, at least, was the one thing that they would always do is they would have the person get stretchered out. And they at least brought the stretcher out for Edge. He kind of refused the thing, but they still treated it severe to, I guess, protect it. But something says to me that I guess maybe Orton could start bringing that back again. But now this feud is at one-to-one, -one, so there's got to be a, a third match. When do they do that? What kind of match do you think that, that that could even be? I mean, something to me says that 
if you can get him back by October, you do hell in a cell or something. I literally, when at the end of this, I said they can't do this any other way but hell in a cell. My exact thought. That's where it has to go, Jesus and it Christ. scares the shit out of me to imagine Edge doing that with the spots they've been doing. I don't like it. Here's here's my problem with a lot of this. One, this was clearly another cinematic homage to wrestling, which I think both of us could very much appreciate as well as a lot of wrestling fans. As we just brought up the Firefly Funhouse match, that was a better homage to wrestling than this was because this was just, here's fucking everything. And also, by the way, all these moves that you saw all these guys become champions with, we just keep kicking out of. It's like, that's not an homage to wrestling to me. It's not. No. The other problem is we've talked about, you know, things on this things on this card that didn't make sense. We talk about Braun Strowman essentially Braun Strowman essentially being three counted by the Miz and Morrison who didn't do that much to him. So you're telling me Braun Strowman, big motherfucker, uh, uh, you know, the heavyweight champion is about to get pinned by those two, but Edge, who's been gone for 10 years, kicks out of all these things that Randy Orton did to him. That Randy Orton is kicking out of eight different of rock bottoms and unprettiers and all these moves that have put Hall of Famers into the ground. Randy Orton's kicking out of them. Like it just there is no consistency with any of this. And to the point of them having to go on further, like it's one one. They clearly have to finish it. This is gonna be my biggest issue. And and I wanna know where where you think this this falls. Randy Orton is still incredible right now. Absolutely. If anything, this whole stint has showed me how much he still has in the tank. If he does not come out of this on some kind of serious tear, what's the point? Because it sure as shit ain't going to be Edge. Like, let's be real about it. Like, this is a, okay, like, I figured it out and I get to end it on my terms thing for Edge, and I respect that. And he's going to work with Andy, who he, Randy, who he knows and he trusts, and that's fine. But, like, Orton is looking like, especially when you bring the punt back, if you're going to bring that back and make him this bad motherfucker again, you have to do something with it. You can't just do it to do it. It's going to really piss me off if, like, he wins the third match and then, like, he takes a bunch of time off and that's just, like, the end of it. Like, this was a big thing for him and then that's, it's over. Like, this has to lead to something bigger for him or or I don't get the point of it. It's really going to drive me crazy and I know it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing about the punt too and I don't know if you noticed this but it really really bothered me because one this match went too long and I think that if it didn't go mm-hmm. as long they would have had the time to do this but to your point about Edge refusing the stretcher when else in Randy Orton's career have you seen him put somebody down and they get back up and he's like huh, okay like, if anything, if you're really right. turning him and he Classic. does that punt and he sees Edge get back to his feet, he's going back down there and putting him Classic down again. Classic Orton gets that look in his uh-huh. eyes. And they kept staring into his eyes and he's just like, okay, Edge, get up. And it's like, no, this this doesn't, none of this adds up together. It really, really bothered what, me. What's funny is we watched WrestleMania together, you and me, and we watched both, both nights and we watched the match between Edge and Orton. And the one thing that we said was that match went too long and just didn't do enough. It, like, it just dragged on. It was boring. Here, it dragged on, but it it dragged on because of the fact that it literally became that indie match where if you had, you know, 300 people and everybody's, there's, there's 30,000 near falls and everybody's biting on all of them, okay, like, it, it is what it is. 
Here is two veterans who are literally doing every finishing move, like we said, under the sun for near falls for 30 other wrestlers that are in the room. So you come from having a match where they don't do enough and it goes too long to a match where it goes too long and they just do way too much. And that's where my problem is with this. This match, just like the last match, needed 20 minutes start to finish. Instead, we're getting 30 minutes. Last, last, the WrestleMania match was 36 minutes, I believe. Yeah, that sounds right. And, like, my goodness here. Like, like this match had to have gone at least close to 30 again. I think this one was over 30. And uh, let, let, I can actually even check that for you right now. That This match went, holy shit. 44 minutes and yeah. 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, they had all that extra time because the Street Profits didn't have their match, remember? <sighs> wow. Yeah. 45 minutes they went. Like, listen, I don't I don't like even even trying to I don't pick apart what these two have done on either of these shows because especially right now with how many people aren't here and how bad a lot of the content is, like, I appreciate these guys so much for giving us something. Mania especially, and even tonight. Like, God bless these guys for going out there and fucking working their asses off. Like, no disrespect meant in any way to, to, to either of them. I can't believe Edge is looking this good in the ring. And like I said, Randy Orton is just reminding me of how great he still is and always was. So to that point, like kudos to them ridiculously. But I just want things to make sense at the end of the day. And yeah. the I think, I, I mean, we both said it, so I guess we agree. I mean, the only way that this ends right is Hell in a Cell. It's what they have to do, and, and I'm legitimately afraid for it. Yeah, overall, I wasn't really a fan of this show. This was dog shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I one week ago, there was the pageantry of the ending of a crowning of a new champion on NXT, and that that, that show was, was tremendous. This one, not so much. Um, any final words on, the, on, on, on this show? This game. This gives me no interest in tuning into TV this week. So one, great job WWE, and two, thank you for watching all the weekly TV so that I don't have to. That's the point of the show. We usually try and cover uh, eleven hours of TV in one hour. Tonight, though, uh, we had to tack on an extra three hours, so you're getting a little bit more. Uh, and while we're at it, actually, a little side plug: I just dropped a bonus episode uh, early this morning. Uh, Basically recapping 15 years ago, One Night Stand, ECW, and Hardcore Homecoming, the last real ECW experiences that people had. Uh, I was in attendance at Hardcore Homecoming, and uh, I'm still, you know, I watched uh, One Night Stand live. Uh, I talk about my entire experiences with ECW and that weekend on that podcast. It's a, you know, fun listen. I talked for what I thought was 30 minutes, and it ended up being about 50. So that's available in there. You can listen to that anytime. It's not really time-sensitive. Available in the Power Bombs and Potables feed. Corey is the Edge and Orton match of podcast hosts. Hey, I had a lot to talk about, including me being a uh, a 15-year-old like dude really trying to see boobs. Nice. That's, that's in there, a little tease for that. So... 
finish what we were talking about and making you not want to watch TV into another thing that I really wanted to discuss, but it was too long to dive into with quick sips. On Thursday, the news broke that WWE confirmed that their creative teams from Raw and SmackDown have been consolidated into one group, which will be led by brother Brucey, Bruce Pritchard. According to a statement from WWE.com, uh, they quote on say, in an effort to streamline our creative writing process for television, we have consolidated both teams for Raw and SmackDown into one group led by Bruce Pritchard. Paul Heyman will concentrate on his role as an in-ring performer. As you recall, Heyman was made the executive director of Raw in June of 2019. Eric Bischoff was hired to be the executive director of SmackDown as well. That didn't last long. He was made to exit from the company months later, and they, they slid Bruce Pritchard into that role to replace Bischoff. For what it's worth, it said that Heyman stepped down from this role. He was not demoted in any shape, way, shape, or form. Dave Meltzer reported on uh, the Wrestling Observer uh, newsletter that Vince McMahon's thinking uh, changed a lot as a result of COVID-19. Before that, all of the WWE's moves were calculated to be preparing for the future, ranging from Heyman's booking of Raw to build up future stars, the revival of the XFL, and then expanding into Europe and Japan. They've, you know, obviously they already have NXT UK, and they were supposed to be starting uh, NXT Japan. Uh, that, but that's changed, uh, looking as now Vince felt that the new talent being pushed wasn't getting over despite having no fans in attendance. Uh, this in addition to the decline of raw ratings. Uh, some people backstage felt that there were signs of this happening for weeks now. Many of the WWE talent were shocked by the news. Several wrestlers are also nervous as they didn't have any kind of push before Heyman decided to run with them. Uh, Andrade, Zelina Vega, Murphy, Aleister Black, Apollo Crews, and others. AOP were in the process of getting a push before, well, one of them got hurt again. Uh, one person backstage said, quote, I'm shocked that this it took this long. Everyone knew it was coming. Vince did not like Paul, end quote. Uh, changes are always made in WWE when ratings are down, and Heyman, Pritchard, and Eric Bischoff were seen as possible scapegoats for a bigger issue. The status of those wrestlers uh, mentioned above uh, is up in the air, uh, while uh, Vince reportedly likes Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits, they're believed to be safe. McMahon is also has a tendency to change his mind, <laughs> as we know over the last 40 years. Uh, Heyman had originally said that uh, it would take 18 months or longer to build new stars, which makes sense. Look at Stone Cold. Stone Cold came in in January of 96. He really didn't find his stride until uh, really mid-90. Well, you could say the, the Austin 316 thing was mid-96, but he didn't take off to the beginning of 97. Uh, even The Rock, same way. All these guys, 18 months is very safe for some of that stuff to really build credibility. Cena was the same way. Uh, it was noted that McIntyre was set to be the cool new baby face, but without crowds, it's hard to tell if that's actually working. The ratings haven't gone up after he won the title, but I mean, this this TV's been just so bearable to watch. I even know that people, when this stuff first first happened, would be like, yeah, there's nothing on TV, there's no sports, and they'd be like, but I can't bring myself to watch wrestling with no audience. Uh Wrapping this up here, uh, to add even more, more fuel to this fire, it was noted that AJ Styles' recent move to SmackDown was because him and Paul Heyman did not get along. Uh, it said that the reason was he was furious that Gallows and Anderson were fired. He blamed Paul Heyman for them being fired. Uh, but realistically, Vince is the one who makes the decision, so I don't get why Heyman would have been the one that would have been in charge of fighting to keep... Drew, uh, Drew Gallows and, and, uh, Drew Gallows, uh, well, actually Doc Gallows and, and, uh, Carl Anderson. So, you know, the final thing is 
Dave Meltzer discussed that you, the USA Network is not happy about Paul Heyman's removal. They specifically wanted Paul Heyman for Raw when they were coming up with the brand split when they were about to go to, to Fox for SmackDown. Uh, he quote said, I know USA Network it was very unhappy with the change. Uh, very unhappy, by the way. I don't think they were happy with the ratings, but they understood the ratings. They were told a long time ago that this was a rebuilding period and it was going to take a long time and they understood that. The ratings were a lot higher and then the pandemic came and that's when it really knocked it down the last three months. The same with SmackDown. I can't imagine Fox being thrilled with their ratings either considering what they were expecting. So all in all, now that I've wrapped all of that up, Paul Heyman out, Bruce Pritchard, who... I love Bruce Pritchard. He's given me so much entertainment over the years. But since you have Bruce Pritchard in charge of SmackDown and Paul Heyman in charge of Raw, the better entertaining product you can see with young stars being pushed is Raw. Raw's been doing a good job of that, very reminiscent of the early 2000s when Heyman was the lead writer on SmackDown. And they were beating Raw in the ratings a lot of times too. This just is Vince being Vince. And everybody continues to say that Vince, they're convinced that Vince is going to kill the company before he dies just so it's not around anymore. So my, my take on this would be one. I feel like the only times in the history of this company that I've really enjoyed watching it, that I can recall who was in charge of, of like anything is generally either like Paul Heyman or Vince Russo, but only sometimes. Mm. And in a lot of the time between the first era of Heyman that you mentioned and this iteration of Heyman, what we saw a lot of was, I mean, we talked about things like this, you know, even, even on tonight's card and a lot of times since we started this podcast. And I think a lot of these things fall into Paul Heyman's kind of camp. The things that he does well the way that he builds these young stars is stables and managers and understanding, you know, who's a mouth and who's a worker and who can do both. And like, I feel like anytime that he has a lot of say behind the scenes, you, you see a lot of those things flowing together and making a lot of sense. People that we hype up in, in that way a lot, obviously Zelina Vega. And so they've recognized that and they've put several people with her, to try and, you know, build them all up together. It's smart. And on the other side of that, you know, you had guys like Apollo Crews and Alistair Black, you know, kind of working with them. Like, it makes them all look good. Not only the people that she has in her corner, but the people working against them because the whole angle is working. Like, things like that we enjoy. MVP being attached to Lashley and hopefully putting an end to this Lana thing. Like, works. Making Lashley a, a believable threat to to the, the the main championship, which I would not have bought four to five months ago absolutely can buy it now and when we've seen the era of wrestling that like you know is kind of the area where people like you know me and like steven and i think a lot of people especially rh who, who grew up on that attitude era specifically and the monday night wars really dropped out was every single night was all right let's put like the eight best guys we have in a in a eight-man tag match so we can get them all on air and no one gives a shit about that and they were doing that shit for years and you know what we haven't seen happening since like Heyman came back really is eight man fucking tag matches with a bunch of main eventers that don't make any sense. And there's no storyline or anything. Right. 
Like that's just that's just like a grand like that's obviously putting kind of one big example, but that pretty much tells you I think all you need to know into what happens when Vince McMahon or somebody that's a puppet for Vince McMahon is in charge versus when it's somebody that actually understands the business and books things that make sense and like somebody not nearly as invested in this as, as somebody like Corey and a lot more devoted fans, hopefully people that are listening to this, but me, even a much more casual fan can see those things and appreciate those things. And that is, I think that's the difference between you're always going to have this baseline viewership, like wrestling is wrestling. And there are people that are going to watch it because it's there. And, and for the most part are, are going to tolerate quite a lot. It's going to take a lot to push them away, but we've seen the flashes where you get that more casual viewer back in. And that that's the type of thing they need to always be building for. And then hopefully, you know, one of these guys hits it and, and can lure people in. I think Cena was that for a little bit. I think CM Punk was especially that for a very short stint. Obviously you guys like Austin and the rock and the undertaker all well before that. And, now you're kind of left looking for for who is that guy. And to go back to, you know, what you're talking about, you know, the potential re- return of Brock Lesnar, he is one of those guys, hate him or not. Like, even me, who, like, is going to tune in more if he's there, does have this frustration with when he's here and is, you know, taking that spotlight from people. But at the same time, I can't not watch it. Like, like you have to learn to to appreciate those things and realize that, you know, at the end of the day, you got to get eyes on the product to to make it valuable and to make it work. And so that, you know, you have the resources to then build another wave of talent. And, you know, if this is going to start becoming an issue and, and they're going to get away from these things again, then you very well end up back in, you know, that dark period where I have the feeling we're going to end up seeing a lot of eight and ten man tag matches as main events and everyone's just there so Kids can see their their favorite person on TV, so hopefully they buy a shirt. Right, and as a guy who has always watched, and a big ECW fan, and even like like I said, the SmackDown from early two thousands, Paul Heyman was never necessarily the greatest storyline writer, but Paul Heyman has always been tremendous at creating young talent and getting them over. If you look at so many of that ECW roster from the nineties, was all just a bunch of People, some of them just didn't even know how to work, but he was able to make them household names and make them bigger stars than they actually were to the point where they got plucked from the other companies. Guys like the public enemy, guys like Taz, uh, to the Ravens of the world, to the Sandman. The Sandman Sandman has like six moves, but the Sandman is one of the most beloved characters of all time. But it's it's you know, he know he could see things in people and and found ways to get them over to an audience. Obviously in two thousand twenty it, it does take more time to give that when there's so much content every single week and there's no house shows. He's doing the best that he can, and I don't have faith in Bruce Pritchard. And ultimately what's gonna end up happening here is Bruce Pritchard's going to get fired again because there's nothing else for Bruce to do. And then, you know, once Bruce gets fired, you know, all hands on deck for more great episodes of his podcast. But it's just, I I don't agree with this decision. Uh, But again, like they said, Heyman stepped down, which says to me that they pretty much, you know, said, hey, look, here's the deal. And he was just like, I'm not going to fight it. It's... 
I'm sure the uh, the 23 hours a day of work that he's having to put in, you know, he's not going to sweat having to work only when Brock Lesnar works, which I'm assuming, you know, he's going to be coming back to work for a month very soon. But um, really, that's, that's that, you know, uh, unless you had anything else to add to the Paul Heyman situation. No, I'm good. All right, I'm going to quick run down uh, some of the shows this week. I know that you didn't watch them, uh, but I'm just going to touch on the the high points of these shows, and we're going to wrap this this show up. Uh, Impact Wrestling from Tuesday night. Uh, the show opens with Sammy Callahan versus Michael Elgin versus Ken Shamrock. Uh, a lot of star power here. Sammy isn't looking too good these days. He was slow, missing spots, which isn't normal, but he hasn't been working as much, so it just could be, I mean, less repetition maybe. Ken Shamrock does a dive onto the outside onto both of these opponents. Yeah, the UFC Hall of Famer, who's in his 50s, had an impressive no-selling outing here. Yeah, he didn't sell shit in this entire match. It was tremendous. Uh, but he eventually uh, succumbs... But he eventually succumbs to the Elgin bomb in the middle of the ring. Uh, I've never been a fan of Michael Elgin. Something about him just doesn't work for me. Going back to Ring of Honor, New Japan, and now even an Impact, still not work for me. He's a big, impressive dude, but I just, I just don't get him. Doesn't do anything for me. Out next, Scott Demore comes out and gives a state of the Impact World Title. If you recall, Tessa Blanchard has not been in the country with their World Title in months. It's fucking stupid, and it's horrible. After a bunch of interruptions, they announced that at Slammiversary on July the 18th, uh, there will be a five-way for the title, Tessa defending against Michael Elgin, Ace Austin, Trey, Eddie Edwards, and Moose. Now, why this is horrible is because, once again, they're having to protect Tessa, who needs knows that you know they, they're going to have her drop it, but they're just trying to, once again, protect her. They also put a tournament on TV that took a month's worth of time to give it to a number one contender to then just put him in a five-way title match. It doesn't even get his title match. It's just dumb. The main event on this show was Jordan Grace defending the knockout title against the returning Taya Valkyrie. Uh, Jordan Grace hit a dive onto the outside right out of the gate to start this match. They do a spot where Taya gets knocked from the second turnbuckle to the floor. I think that Rosemary and Johnny Bravo were supposed to catch her, but that didn't happen, and she took a bump right onto the floor which she you know, pretty much sold out the rest of this match. Uh, Taya didn't seem herself in this match. Uh, that's never really selling, saying much. I mean, I feel she's got all the hype and the love for her because she was on Lucha Underground, but I've never really gotten into her or anything that she did. So, um, yeah, uh, Jordan Grace looked great in this match. She fired up when she needed to. She used the right power moves when necessary. Taya ends up tapping out to a sleeper hold uh, that she tried for a while to escape from. After this match is when we get the debut of Diona Perrazzo. Uh, the Virtuosa comes out to confront the Knockouts champion. She offers her hand to Jordan Grace for a handshake, who then she snapped her arm right down into an arm bar uh, to finish the show. This is the proper way to book Diona Perrazzo. She was ready for it with WWE, but I guess they didn't see that and all they saw was the jobber portion her so wwe's loss is impact's gain uh i'm excited to see what they eventually do with her moving on to aew from this week aew starts off hot this week with the debut of ftr the former revival versus the butcher and the blade chris jericho is the fourth man on commentary for this show now jericho and tony worked great together just as the two men you had Jim Ross and Excalibur, and this was just Jericho stepping all over everyone trying to get his shit in. Uh, it was funny at points, but at other points it was just overkill. Uh, I don't want to see that again with the four-man booth, unless it's for one match. 
but this went on for an hour of this show. Uh, the first note, the this was the best Butcher and Blade match in AEW. Uh, and they've been here for most of the Dynamite run, but this was the best outing they've had. Lots of double team moves from FTR. Uh, the announcers put over how great of an actual tag team FTR is and bringing back the classic stuff. Uh, but nobody better to put that over than Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone on the commentary. Uh, JR even called out the fact that they use tag ropes, which is something that I can't say much for Alexa Bliss earlier tonight on Backlash. Uh, Jim Ross uh, uh, eventually... They refer to the butcher for the first time on these programs as being in every time I die, which both of us popped for. Hell yeah. Tony said he was the Andy Williams, the butcher's real name. Tony says that he was the guitar player. JR said that he thought he played bass. Well, Tony was right on this one. Andy Williams plays guitar. But obviously you and me know that because we've been every time every time I die fucking fans for 15 years now. Yeah, and the butcher liked my tweet in response to that. He said, lay off JR's barbecue is an honest mistake. Plus, he hasn't liked anything every time I die has done since burial plot. Fucking A. And I said, and I, I, I promised I would do this this uh, impression for the podcast. By God, if you drag the lake, I'll tell you what. You'll find it's full of love. Sauce it. Hashtag sauce it. Yeah. My God. So, <sighs> FCR hits the former shatter machine. I don't remember what they called it. Now, I didn't catch that in my notes, uh, but they hit the former Shatter Machine for a, a near fall. But they end up getting the win with the Arn and Tully spike pile driver for the win. I think that that's ultimately going to be uh, their finish. They've always been compared to Arn and Tully. They love Arn and Tully. And um, obviously, do- pile drivers are banned in WWE, so they can do it here in AEW. Absolutely great way to debut them. After the match, uh, Tony Schiavone goes to interview them. This segment gets interviewed, uh, gets interrupted right away by the Young Bucks, who come out to uh, introduce themselves formally to FTR. They say that they've been carrying tag team wrestling on their backs for over a decade now. Um, they weren't doing much in Impact Wrestling 10 years ago, so not really so much for over a decade, you know. I get you put yourself over, but come on. Facts is facts here, kids. Um, the Butcher and the Blade attack the Bucks from behind, which brings out Kenny Omega and at Hangman Page to make the save. The segment ends with the Bucks, FTR and Omega, and Hangman staring each other down in the middle of the ring. I like the possibilities of this. I'm very excited for FTR um, as they're now working on a handshake agreement with AEW. There's no contract here. But, you know, there's money to be had. And so I, I praise Tony Khan for saying, fuck it, let's bring him in. Let's let's see what they can do here. Chris Statlander, Hikaru Shida, Penelope Ford versus Nyla Rose. This is the match I talked about earlier where Chris Statlander tore her ACL uh, doing the, the, the dive onto Kip Sabian. So uh, Penelope Ford won this match with a fisherman suplex in the middle of the ring for the win. Uh, so now you have to look at it. Britt Baker and Chris Statlander are out of an already struggling division. Uh, so I guess your next move is Penelope Ford versus Hikaru Shida, probably for Fighter Fest, uh, coming up in July, the two night event. Best friends in Orange Cassidy versus Jake Hager, Santana Ortiz is on the show. Cassidy ends up, you haven't seen this show, Dan. Orange Cassidy ends up, uh, rolling up Ortiz for the win here. Really? This match was merely to get Jericho off the announce desk for a beatdown. Orange Cassidy gets color here. Jericho's now Negan. I don't know if you know this. He carries around a baseball bat everywhere. With him. I have seen it time here and there. Jericho got a sack of oranges from out underneath the ring and was beating Orange Cassidy with a sack of oranges. 
Freshly squeezed, baby. And uh, somehow Jericho finds a way to make everything he does entertaining. But, like, what's this building to? A Jericho-Orange Cassidy match? God, I hope so. Um, the other possibility through that would be a Hager-Orange Cassidy match. I wouldn't want to see that no, as much as a, a Cassidy-Jericho match. But everything that Jericho has done since he's lost the belt is just for a quick one-off angle to eventually get to, I'm assuming, at All Out some form of something with him and Mike Tyson, because it's not going to be like, you know, 97 where Tyson was the enforcer. Jericho has been very vocal that this is going to be, whether it's a boxing match, because he claims that he's been training and boxing for like five years now or longer than that. He can do whatever they need to do, but it's going to be something with him and uh, Mike Tyson. Are you sure you can do whatever they need to do? Well, they're not going to do a fucking straight up boxing match. It'll probably I'm be. Saying, I don't know. If Mike Tyson knows how to flip that switch, bro. If you're telling me that Jericho can take a hit from Mike Tyson, then I'm questioning. Jericho that. claims that Mike Tyson is a very is the utmost professional and he can do whatever they need him to do. Yeah, I don't know about that, buddy. He's <laughs> prime. Sammy Guevara versus Colt Cabana. Okay match. Sammy gets the win here. This is just used as a catalyst to once again drive more. The Colt Cabana is going to be uh, joining Dark Order most likely. He left with Dark Order after the match, went into their locker room. They had footage of that. But it also helps Sammy to get another win in a Good match against a veteran. So, you know, good good there. I'm a fan of that. The main event on this show, well, let me slide something else in here. At some point on this show, there's a spot, because we now know that Fighter Fest is going to be not an actual pay-per-view. It is two nights of dynamite, July the 1st and July the 8th. Wednesday nights, two hours. In that, you're going to get John Moxley versus Brian Cage for the world title. So on this show, they do a spot where Moxley's cutting a promo in a parking lot, and then Taz comes up and just starts cutting a Taz pro, promo on him. Brian Cage comes running at a million miles an hour from the back of the parking lot, almost like Hangman, and takes out uh, Moxley and puts him through the back windshield of a car. And that's what they did to progress this storyline this week. Comprehensive claims out the ass in wrestling, bro. Yeah, everybody is putting people through windshields anymore. And everybody, <laughs> hope they got those fifty dollars glass deductibles. Yeah, and that's where Safe Light comes in. Safe Light, God damn it! Not on this show. We don't know that they didn't pay for the spot. Not yet, bro. Hit us up. The main event on the show is Cody versus Mark Quinn for the TNT title. Um, this was the breakout performance of Mark Quinn, who's been in a tag team this whole time of of Private Party, and even Jim Cornette said for the first time he saw Private Party that Mark Quinn was going to be the standout of this team due to the, just his athletic ability and, and the way that he carries himself. These two shook hands before locking up, which is cool. Two baby faces here. Uh, Quinn Speed helped him to take the lead early in this match, but the veteran Cody used his experience to counter a few moves to take him down for a surfboard submission. They saw the story to continue from a few weeks back uh, from actually the pay-per-view where Mark Quinn had an injury to his leg. Uh, Quinn missed a springboard during the break, uh, allowing uh, Cody to capitalize on this opportunity. Uh, Quinn eventually made a comeback while uh, continuing to sell the the leg. Cody countered a 450 from Quinn to get the win with a leg lock submission. After the match, Jake Hager came out and attacked Cody and Arn Anderson once Quinn had left, which caused Private Party and Matt Hardy to come make the save, uh, as well as the rest of the inner circle uh, join the fight. And there was just a huge brawl to end this show. Cody then challenges uh, and offers a title shot for the TNT title at Fighter Fest to Jake Hager. So that will be the TNT title match will be Cody versus Jake Hager. Another match that I know that we probably have seen at some time in WWE, but 
Cody was never over to the point that he is here. Cody leaving WWE made him a main eventer in every promotion that he's been in. And uh, Jake Hager has been doing great stuff. Uh, they, they never really hit his full potential in WWE. And, you know, Jake Hager's a legitimate badass. Say what you want about, you know, his lisp and all the other stuff. The dude is an MMA fighter. He's undefeated in MMA. And, you know, that's that's a work. I mean, I mean that's not a work. AEW's a work, but Bellator's a shoot, and he's undefeated. He's a legit badass, and, and AEW's tried to really bring that out, you know, except for that match with Moxley on TV a couple weeks ago. But besides that, they've done a good job, so I think you can get a good match out of Hager and Cody. But once again, I feel that Hager's going to have to lose. I don't agree with them putting him in situations where he has to lose. That's just me. It makes the legitimacy of his, you know, undefeated MMA record be a little tarnished. One of the problems that I'm running into with AEW kind of in general, I don't know if you'll agree with either of these, you know, me coming from a much more casual perspective Mm -hmm. is one, it kind of feels that way with a lot of that roster. It seems like it's hard to find guys that can take a loss. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because they're new and you don't have guys completely established in their role there yet, but it really feels like a lot of the times, like, uh, you know, it's kind of nice that I go in not really having an idea of who's set to win because I'm still not sure where everybody lies at this point in the company. But at the same time, you know, it's really kind of hard to read their storylines. And especially, like, sometimes the booking just goes the other way. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sitting there going, this doesn't make sense. Like, I do sometimes with WWE, but I'm sitting there going, okay, so, like, just what, you know, where is this going now then? Because it's super unclear. And I don't, I don't know if that's related to another issue I have, but one of the other things that I just, like, am unsure about is there are so many factions in this company already, and wh- what is the point of all these factions, and do you feel like it's just too many? Um, Inner Circle is a good stable. I, I, I appreciate that, especially because that's something that Jericho has never really delved into. So I'm okay with the Inner Circle. The elite have been a stable right. for years. I mean, that's basically what AEW is built on. The Dark Order, yeah. they've yet to prove themselves. But to me, like, I want the Dark Order to succeed. I don't like fucking pudgy evil Uno and the other fucking dude that he was with. But I like the Brody Lee aspect. And I, I'd like the idea if they actually pull the trigger and bring in Colt Cabana and turning him heel and giving that more credibility as well. But the problem is there is you, well. The inner circle is like the main event slash comedy slash serious stable that are heels. And then the dark order is supposed to be serious heels, but they're, they're not a main event stable. And I feel that that's the problem with stables. Unless you're a main event stable, that it's kind of, eh? yeah. And then you have the elite who are a main event baby face stable. They're the only real stables. I mean, I can't. I, I'm not going to say that that Orange Cassidy best friends are a stable. Well, it kind of feels like it though, because it's more than just a tag team. Well, they're best. Yeah, they're not the same as the other three you mentioned, but the, they're kind of a stable. They're they're just a couple of best friends. Is that every stable? No. Well, evolution's a mystery to me, brother. There you go. Uh, but but to to more what you said. So looking at this. The some overall rankings. Moxley is apparently eighteen two and one in in AEW. I don't really remember when he took many losses, uh, but in twenty twenty he's thirteen to zero. Cody 
Overall, 18-6-1, 11-1-2020. His only loss being to MJF. MJF, overall 11-1, 6-0-2020. Lance Archer, who's only been around for three months, is 5-1. Well, MJF was hurt. Right? He was hurt. He did have that hangnail and the nick on his neck. Uh, Brody Lee, 5-1 and one as well. So both of them, Lance Archer's only loss was to Cody. Brody Lee's only loss was to John Moxley. Kenny Omega. <laughs> Kenny Omega is 23-8 in overall and 4-0 in singles competition in, in 2020. The so-called best wrestler in the world uh, has really not been the best wrestler in the world. And then finally, there's Chris Jericho, who overall in AEW is 14, 4, and 1. And in 2020, he's only had three matches and he's 2 and 1. Yeah, that sounds right. And they aren't real matches. Right. Except his loss to Moxley in at Revolution. Yeah. So, to the point of these people that can't take, take losses, Cody can take losses. We know that. But the problem is, is you put a belt on him. So, you have to plan his losses because at this point, he's defending that title every match that he has. So his next loss has to be his title loss, which I'd like to be against MJF, who you need to protect at this point. Lance Archer can't really take any more losses because he's a monster that you fed to Cody. So now you need to once again rebuild him up so you can't beat him again. Brody Lee, you don't need to beat him well because they don't need to put him on in matches as much. If you start to build people around him, that's okay. Kenny Omega... Being that he's in this tag team with with Hangman, they need to get the belts off of him is what they need to do. Oh, yeah. And then once they do that, then you can do more stuff like that. But but guys like Kenny Omega, you know, they're not going to beat him just every week. And and Jericho, they're not going to put on TV every week. So that's kind of where they they are, like we said, limiting themselves. They put guys like Jungle Boy and Orange Cassidy and Luchasaurus out there to try and have these matches with people, but in the end, they, they end up, you know, not winning. But they have good matches, and that's where they, they feel like they, they elevate them. But, yeah, and I, I would guess that a lot of your bigger names, like when you only need to do basically two hours of TV a week, you, know, you can get away with not putting all these big names on all the time. And to the point about the stables, like I do think that like the stable thing really is a great thing for Chris Jericho. So he's not out there having to work every week. He's still on TV. You still get to see him. You're still entertained, and he's also like bringing a whole new group of of young people, young wrestlers that are going to be the future of that company. Which again goes back to the Paul Heyman thing and saying that you know, you know, how do you build these guys? You know, that's a way you put them with a mouthpiece, et cetera, et cetera. But to my point is that the other thing is that while they could probably throw a lot of these big guys on TV every week and probably start crushing ratings, I'd imagine that maybe they're using this time to really let these guys relax and in a way, take time off without just being completely gone because once they ever do get back to being able to put on live shows, you need those guys in the building to sell tickets. You're not selling tickets with the TV you've been doing the last couple of weeks. That's not going to do the job. Right. Um, but the one thing that AEW consistently does every week is they're not out here really trying to do the WWE thing that has a 1,008 hours a week of TV. They're out here saying, all right, we're going to give you like nonstop the best action that we can give you. And for what it's worth, 
that's pretty much the premise of every new company. TNA, when TNA was an underground sensation, which got them their Fox Sports deal in the early 2000s, which got them on Spike TV with a great deal that lasted several years, was because of the fact that they were they were what their name was. They were total nonstop action, and you, you'd get your storylines, but it was just match, but they were matches that you wanted to see. And if it was a squash match with somebody that you're building, it was quick, it was to the point, and it was made to make that guy look badass. So they were they were done in the right way, and AEW's doing the same thing here, but eventually, you know, something's, push is going to have to come to shove. Um, moving on to NXT, as, as we wrap up this extended edition of this show, uh, NXT starts out with the undisputed era in the ring. Adam Cole uh, says that nobody is next in line for him and declares himself the most dominant uh, man in NXT. Roderick Strong keeps seeing Dexter Loomis in the crowd, and it was just really weird and just very WWE of NXT here. It wasn't like, usually the comedy weird shit's on the the main roster. This was just kind of weird. I wasn't a fan of it. Dexter Loomis and Adam Cole scheduled for the main event of this show. Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae versus Keith Lee and Mia Yim. They should have, they had an okay match. This should have taken place last week on TV as the final build to the pay-per-view last weekend. Uh, but I guess they're just going to keep this feud going. Uh, the ending happening happened when Keith Lee accidentally knocked Mia Yim off the apron. And Johnny wins with, you guessed it, a fucking roll-up. Had to get one in on this show. This wasn't a double stomp. Wasn't a double stomp. Uh, into Shears back here. They had a quick stop and start a month or two back. Uh... Uh, with enhancement guys here quick match it was what it needed to be these guys are green as hell but they have a good look and an upside uh so it's best to protect them at this point robert stone tries to recruit rhea ripley in a backstage promo she ends up throwing him in a trash can i think we're about 45 minutes into the show that i wrapped up in a minute and a half uh finn balor versus cameron grimes Good match here. Physical hard hitting between these two. Balor wins with a coup de gras, uh not the coup de gras. As Dan liked to point out that Tom Phillips keeps saying, and he even said it on this show, uh, and then hits the 1917 DDT for the win. Afterwards, Finn Balor goes up to the camera and says, Keith Lee, when you're done playing house, come see me. So I guess they're building up to, to Finn Balor and Keith Lee. Not necessarily what I expected coming out of the In Your House pay-per-view, but perhaps they want to keep Cole and Balor away from each other for now. So here's something I want to dig into. Repackage Keith Lee. Oh, I was moving on, but yeah, yeah sure. Okay. El Eo de Fantasma won the Cruiserweight title last week. He comes out to have an, an interview, and he gets interrupted by Drake Maverick. Maverick wants another shot at the Cruiserweight title. Fantasma agrees to defend the title against him when the two masked guys that have been in and out for three months, I don't know if you've ever caught any of those segments. There's been a, there's been been It's been going on for months where people have been getting uh, attacked, and I went on a whole rant. I even played it back in one of the other episodes, and I, I hated how they did it. But the one thing is, is that Every time they go to attack El Hio de Fantasma, he fights them off. So these two guys come down to the ring, and Maverick and Fantasma do the back-to-back spot where they're like, got each other's back. At this point, Fantasma turns around and attacks Maverick. The three of them beat down Maverick. The two masked men unmask, and it's Joaquin Wilde and Ro- Ro Mendoza, who were the original two people that were kidnapped by these masked men, which is fucking weird. Fantasma then unmasks himself, Looks into the camera and says, I'm Santos Escobar, and says that he's untouchable. Fucking awesome. I loved how they did this. It was shot differently. And you get the reveal of th- three masked men, two of them that were just 
masked men that you had covering their identities. And the third one was somebody who was legitimately wrestling under a mask as, as a luchador. And good-looking guy, going to completely giving uh, the new thing, and it's going to give Drake Maverick something to overcome. I'm sure he's not going to end up overcoming it. Um, but building off of months of odd backstage attacks, Elio de Fantasma was not going to get over under a mask, only speaking Spanish. He takes the mask off. He speaks English. Um, and, you know, it, it's good that, that he's it's going to give him a completely different thing, and it's going to help elevate Mendoza and Wild. So you make three guys in one shot. I love it. Seems smart. Main event, Adam Cole, Dexter Loomis. Pretty good main event for a TV show. Not everything has to be a five-star pay-per-view match. Um, we haven't seen much of De- Dexter Loomis, nor has he spoken yet, which adds to uh, you know the mystery of him. The finish is when Cole sets up for the Panama Sunrise. Loomis reversed it into the uh, Katagatami. Uh, Bobby Fish distracts the ref. Strong hits an Enziguri on Loomis. Cole hits the last shot for the win. After the match, the Undisputed Era beats down on Loomis. Velveteen Dream comes out, and they clear the ring except for Adam Cole. The lights go down. Scarlet hits the ring. Walks out to the ramp and places an hourglass on the ring and spins it the other way, and it starts running out to end the show. Which I guess this is your build. You're going to go right into Adam Cole versus Karrion Cross for the title. But I guess this means you got to run... you got to turn the Undisputed Era face at this point. And... If they're doing that, then that means I feel they also need to bring them up to the main roster. I mean, I guess they've ran through pretty much everybody too, so they do need that fresh coat of paint. Uh, but if if this is going to be the swan song of the Undisputed Era, then after he loses this belt, they need to like pretty much bring them up like the next show after. Like, I don't want to see the classic NXT thing where he loses and he sticks around for a little bit, and then eventually they bring him up. Like, he's just got to drop it, and then it's like understood that that's it. Like, have have that be the, the finish, and then just run with Karrion Cross. You think they're all coming up at once? Because I don't think so. If you don't bring them all up at once, then I can see Adam Cole coming up alone. I I. I feel you need them all together. I feel for, for the sake of all of them, you need to bring them all together. I agree. I don't think they do it, though. Right. It feels like classic WWE. That's, yeah, it sounds like Vince. Because I don't imagine, like, then they all have to drop their stuff, probably. And I don't think you're just going to rush all that through. Right. And you probably keep, like, you know, you keep the other ones around. They can still almost headline for a little bit after he's gone to kind of reset the balance before they go. Rather, you drop them all at once, you lose so much of your show. Right. Um, so, the only thing that I want to talk about, the last thing I want to talk about this week, was on SmackDown. The finals for the Intercontinental title. AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. This match went like half hour, 35 minutes. Was a pay-per-view caliber match that was on TV. Uh, Brian targeted the left arm early and often of uh, AJ Styles. Uh, Brian charged into the corner, but Styles moved and Brian uh, crashed and AJ took over. At this point, AJ was working the left leg of Brian. Uh, so when he went for the yes kicks, he had to use his right leg as opposed to his left, which they pointed out. It's something I've never noticed, but apparently that's a thing. Telling the story, but he still went for it. Uh, these two had a series of strikes before Styles uh, dropped Brian with a kick to the shoulder. Uh, Brian recovered and applied an arm breaker. Styles reversed it into the calf crusher. Brian then escaped that, delivered a nasty kick to the head of AJ. Uh, uh, they had a big side superplex uh, that took us to the third or fourth commercial break of this match. Like I felt this thing went on forever, but it was still good. But just the 
the consistent commercial breaks kind of kill a match, the momentum when you're watching it. Uh, Styles delivered a picture-perfect Pele kick, followed by a brain buster for a near, near fall. Brian responded with a German suplex for a two. Styles then hit a brain buster of his own uh, for, for a two count. Uh, Brian sprinted across the ring for his running knee. AJ caught him in the air, hit the Styles clash, didn't go for the pin here, which was weird. And then AJ hit the phenomenal forearm to become the Intercontinental Champion. This was a tremendous match. These two went out and had a classic hard-hitting. This was basically the equivalent of an indie match. PWG, anything that you'd expect, they had it on live primetime TV. I loved it. Go out of your way. If there's anything that you should watch from this week on television, go out of your way to watch AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan from SmackDown this Friday night. So when you say that they went to commercials during this, I, I didn't catch this match, but I will I will make sure to make it a point to watch it on your recommendation. Were they going to full on commercials or were they doing the picture in picture? No stuff? picture in picture on so, any of this. So and that's that's why I need the edge before I think it's like you know you're gonna go in with this match. You know you have this 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 show stealing match that you're actually giving people something worth seeing. Like line that kind of thing up. They always they always do it. They have these times where they do the picture in picture and they have the ashes going while you can still see the match. If you know you're going to do something like this, plan for that. That's all. That's all we're asking. Like you have a hard enough time probably keeping people between commercial breaks, and you exactly. know you have you have you finally have this one thing that people are gonna that people are gonna flock to. You know, just just do that that service again. It's not a big ask. Get your ad revenue. I get it. I really get it. Right. But don't take away from the action. I, I agree. Do a disservice to these guys. The, especially when, you, like I said, you give them 30-some minutes on TV. And this wasn't even the main event of the show. This split the 8 and 9 o'clock hour. That's how they work this. So that's not even ad time anyway, that, that hour split. Usually you're right into from one to another. Right. So, yeah, that, that was an interesting, but still, it, it overall was a great match. Probably easier to watch on a replay of, like, Hulu or something like that where the commercials are already out of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I watch these things on a DVR, but I have to fast-forward through the commercials. It's not a, a, a seamless play. All right, so, wow. That was covering of 14 hours of your time that we did in about an hour and a half. So, you know, we had a good time. We had some beer, uh, and but we watched this so that you didn't have to. Again, so many other uh, podcasts that are dropping on the Podcast Potables Network. Make sure you give them all a like on Twitter at Pucks PPN, at Powerbombs PPN, at uh, Popcorn PPN, and of course at Process Potables on the Twitter machine. Of course, uh, hit us with that Dave Meltzer gimmick five star rating and review on on Apple. Uh, we need those uh, things. Dan, always appreciate uh, you stepping onto this podcast. We always have a good time together. I love coming on and, and getting to do the color spot. I often have to do the hosting, do the play-by-play, but I uh, I really like to come on and just kind of get the bounce stuff off you and, and, and kind of pick your, your insanely, insanely uh, library-esque wrestling mind and see if any of the weird should I come up with any much more casual manner, you know, you know, hit, sticks to the wall or doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, get a reason why either way, whether it, you know, whether it does or it doesn't. And it makes the whole viewing experience more, more enjoyable for me. So appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that I'll be back with Dan come well, extreme rules, maybe SummerSlam. We'll, we'll figure that out in the next coming weeks. Next week, we'll be back to probably another under an hour show. So don't you worry. We don't have any wrestling pay-per-views 
for several weeks. It's going to be quite refreshing. Uh, We've had a lot these last two weeks. Uh, So, Dan, thank you. Again, subscribe to all those podcasts. And uh, until next week, make sure you stay safe and stay over. Nothing is off limits for Randy Orton. Oh. No!